Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy, and I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA Cycling and Endurance Athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have Dr. David Ward on, and I have to say, I don't know if I've been this excited to have a guest on my podcast. I love all my guests, but this man is amazing. He was an accountant in his early years and became a functional medicine specialist. He's a licensed doctor of chiropractor and has completed extensive postdoctorate training in functional medicine. He's also a personal trainer. He's worked with NCAA players. But all of this came from his own path when he was suffering from chronic illness in his younger years and learned about how to heal himself. We talk about this and so much more, specifically his work with cognitive decline and Alzheimer's. And you will want to tune in because we all need to do the work that he speaks of. So please enjoy my discussion today with Dr. David Ward. Welcome, David. I'm so glad to have you on today. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, as I've been reading and learned about you, I I know you're well-decorated academically in both research and the practice of functional medicine. And I'd really love to know um, your background and the path for getting into this profession and what is obviously a passion as well. Sure. Uh, well, my, my undergraduate degree is actually in accounting, and I was 15 years in the corporate world, but I knew it wasn't my passion. And I took advantage of the company. Uh, at the time, they called it rate sizing. And so I took advantage of a severance package to become uh, a, a massage therapist, and I was the fitness director at my hometown YMCA in Madison, New Jersey. And that propelled me into going into personal training, ultimately into chiropractic, 
So, and I also have a master's degree in sports medicine. I'm an athletic trainer, and I've done that on the NCAA Division I level. I was also an NCAA Division I head strength and conditioning coach. So I've done a lot of work in my past with athletes, but functional medicine has always been my passion, and I've had a certain uh, specific affinity for that because of my experience with it as a patient. So can you tell us about that? Sure. So in 1975, when I was 17, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called lupus. And as a male in 1975, the prognosis was not particularly good. And the diagnosing doctor told my mother over the phone that she should be happy if I lived to be 30. And um, I passed that mark 30 years ago. I have a friend who's a physician in New Jersey who says that I've been playing with house money for 30 years. And lupus is a systemic autoimmune condition. So basically anything in your body is fair game. I've had brain involvement, heart involvement, lung involvement, muscle and and, uh, joint. I went into kidney failure and had to have six months of chemotherapy to, to save my kidneys. And what I like to say is conventional medicine kept me alive, but functional medicine is what gave me my life back. And I was fortunate that I uh, found a physician who was also trained in traditional East Asian medicine and acupuncture, as well as functional medicine. He became my doctor as well as my mentor. And if you were to look at my lab tests today, there is not a hint that I ever had an autoimmune condition. And so I, I got into functional medicine so that I could share the gift that I was given, given with others. And um, in particular, I got into the uh, cognitive decline, reversing and preventing cognitive decline space because of my family history with my mother and grandmother both passing away from Alzheimer's disease. So backing up for a moment, can you explain the difference between functional medicine and what most people are familiar with, which is our traditional Western medical model? Sure. The best way to to, uh, explain that is to contrast the two models. So in conventional medicine, they ask the question, what? What lab tests are abnormal? um, And normal is simply, in most cases, based on a statistical derivation. So it's not necessarily based on physiology. And so what is out of range? What eight-digit code can I assign you? And what drug, surgery, or medical device can I prescribe that will bring those abnormal results back into a normal range? And if you have a problem with your brain function, you see a neurologist and you get an eight-digit code from him. And if you have a gut problem, you get an eight-digit code from your gastroenterologist. And if you have a heart problem, you go see your cardiologist and she gives you an eight-digit code. So it's a siloed approach where they don't necessarily recognize the connections. In functional medicine, we ask the question, why? Why are you expressing what you're expressing? Because most times your health was good and then something or a series of things occurred and you no longer had good health. And so we look upstream from the symptoms and we look for root or underlying causes for why you express these symptoms, and then we address those root or underlying causes. I wish I had known you. Um, This would have been probably 
15 years ago, maybe, maybe around when I was 36, I have thyroid disease mm. in my family. It's in my genes. I'm aware of that. So we know that there are genetic components to disease. I'm a triplet. My two triplet brothers in their mid-20s were diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, which is um, hypothyroid. And so I guess doctors knowing that whenever I reported it kind of perked up a little bit and always checked my thyroid. And then about in, um, when I was about 35, I had no real symptoms, but my, my thyroid numbers started to reveal that I was going into hyperthyroidism <clears throat> and they rechecked it in six weeks and it was getting worse. And I would say the only symptoms that I felt were I occasionally, and when I say occasionally, I mean, maybe two or three times i had had some heart palpitations that I just was attributing to like caffeine or something. And I had a little shakiness in my quadriceps, which once I, you know, deep dived in deep dove into stuff, I realized that was one of the symptoms, like certain muscles are more susceptible to having those kind of palpitations. And so my doctor sent me to an um, endocrinologist and he immediately said, well, here are the two things we can do. We can give you antithyroid medicine, which after a year loses efficacy and it really can destroy your liver, or we can give you iodine treatment to destroy the thyroid and then we'll just manage you. And, and I said, okay, well, those seem dramatic, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I'm like perfectly healthy. I just, right. my numbers are showing something different. And I said, well, what, what do you usually do? And he said, we, we usually do the second one. You know, you, we really, you know, iodine, it's really simple. I, he goes, look at it like this. You go on vacation, you're away from your kids because you, you can't be around them. And I was like, I mean, that was the first thing. I was like, I, I can't be around them. I can be in a hotel excreting this stuff in a hotel, you know, toilet system, but I can't be around my kids because I'm radioactive. How about me? How about the fact that that's in me? So I decided I was going to do some research. I mean, I thank the heavens that I was, I had that critical thinking to, to not just do that, you know, like what you said. It's like, kind of like, here's the silo. You have this, you do this. And sure enough, I went in, I got acupuncture. I got some herbs, bugleweed in particular. And without doing anything besides that, and I didn't even do that that much. Within a year, I too, the marker was gone. And the doctor just, you know, said, oh, well, you're, you know, 2% people just kind of miraculously heal. We don't know why. And I said, well, what about the stuff that I did? He said, oh, no, that there's no. And I thought, wow, you are willing to give me this drug, this action that would have just destroyed my thyroid for life. But, and, and what I also came to know is that I was having stress in my life in a way that was manifesting in the, my thyroid was the victim. You know, it wasn't terrible stress. It was like my in-laws were moving into town because my father-in-law had Parkinson's. My mother-in-law used to be, before she had Alzheimer's actually, uh, a pretty tough person to be around. So it, I think I was holding on to that kind of knowledge that they were going there. And it just lined right up with when I started having these not even symptoms, but the, the the at least the blood work that showed that that was happening. So I just think that more people need to know about functional medicine because there are so many autoimmune disease, 
and regular, you know, diseases that occur that there, there are lots of other ways to treat them. So there, there's my little share because I was just like, this is exactly what I, you know, I'm always kind of preaching about is go out there and find somebody like yourself who's looking at the whole system, the whole body, who's not just isolating it to an area. I mean, I do that in my yoga. Like we look at how you're moving everywhere in my physical therapy. If your knee's bothering you, it's like the knee is the victim. It's not the cause. So let's look, right? So what I'm curious about is what, how did you, did you immediately decide that you wanted to focus primarily on, on cognitive decline or did you treat, and it sounds like from in your background, you're, you've been treating all kinds of different disease processes or like, what, what do you do now and how, and how did you decide to, I mean, obviously it was your personal background with your mother um, and grandmother, but is that where you spend most of your time now? Autoimmune disease and uh, and the cognitive decline probably fifty fifty autoimmune disease because you know my my history with that and I talk to people about the possibility of reversing their autoimmune disease not because I did but because I did and because we see it every day in functional medicine and uh, we don't treat the test so your story is a perfect example of a physician who was treating the test. And I see that over and over and over again. And they treat the test for better or for worse, meaning, and hypothyroid is a perfect example, your numbers are within the normal range, but you still feel lousy and you know, you're depressed. So they send you to a psychiatrist and put you on an antidepressant. Whereas, you know, hypothyroid can cause depression and you're just not being managed well. So I kind of, I started off in functional medicine, actually working with chronic pain uh, because of my background in chiropractic, massage therapy, uh, personal training. I've done a lot of work uh, at, similar to yours with uh, functional movement. Uh, I studied a lot of work coming out of the Prague School in the Czech Republic um, and um, Dr. Yanda and Dr. Levitt and uh, uh, Pavel uh, Collage and, and all of the you know kind of infant movement patterns analysis type thing. So I did a lot of work with that. I still do some work with that. And then I kind of put functional medicine on top of that. But I always was working uh, in the co- in the um, autoimmune space as well. And then when Dr. Bredesen's program was released in 2017, I just jumped in with both feet because, again, because of my family history. Okay, so let's go to chronic pain for a moment because I'm sure this is a huge population. And I know it's hard to just have like an example of how you would treat chronic pain without actually having mm-hmm. the person and the, the information in front of you. But in general, can you give us some ideas when people are coming with chronic pain, what are the underlying uh, root causes of chronic pain and how do you manage it? Years ago, it used to be thought that, you know, the, the damage structure was the cause of pain and the pain signals would be sent from the damage structure to your brain. We know that's not true. We know that there are no such thing as pain nerves. We know that pain is a sensation that emanates from the brain and it's an experience of the human condition. And so pain lasting longer than three months, which is the definition of chronic pain, can very often have a a component called central sensitization where the brain gets so sensitized to the signals coming into it from the body that it perceives normal, healthy movement 
as being damaging. And the best way the brain knows to stop you from damaging your body is to give you pain. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out, you know, is the brain inflamed because it is a neuroinflammation component very often? Um, was there a head injury somewhere along the line that, that is causing an ongoing neuroinflammatory response? Let's support that. Let's lower the inflammatory load. And then let's start with movement that's not threatening. And generally speaking, movements that we did when we were infants, I like to say we came out of the factory like a computer with an operating system for certain basic movements, right? Nobody teaches an infant how to roll over or crawl, do those kinds of things. So very You're totally speaking my to- language, by the way, because my background is in neurodevelopmental. And so my entire lit platform, we, we go through the developmental stages because those are hardwired. So you could, right, right. yeah. Yeah. Right. And so so the brain is not going to perceive those as threatening. So what we have to do is, is in my approach, what I did uh, was I figured out, well, where is the threshold for movement at what age? Is it three months? Is it six months? Uh, and then we go back to those postures. We challenge those movements. Sometimes we'll add some load to it because very often adding a little bit of load to the body in form of even simple like elastic resistance can stimulate the brain to basically reboot those movement patterns. And then you just build on top of that as the brain perceives safety with movement. Mm, I love that. That's totally in line with what I'm doing. But yeah, one thing you said, you said managing the neurological factors. Yeah. What, did, what do you mean by that? The immune cells in the brain that cause inflammation are known as microglial cells. And their normal job, I I use the analogy of the folks on the side of the road with the orange vests on picking up the trash. So they're surveilling the area, they're moving around, they're cleaning up the debris. That's what microglia are supposed to do in their normal state. But certain things like uh, stress, certainly head injury, Uh, smoking, diabetes, there's a whole long list, can cause those cells to be activated in a way that they become inflammation-producing machines. And they actually change their shape and structure to simply producing inflammation, and they don't move around anymore. They no longer surveil the area. So they're just in that area creating massive amount of ongoing inflammation which causes damage to the brain, which makes that part of the brain debris. So more inflammation gets ramped up to clean up that debris and on and on and on. So what we do is we we can't really measure that very well. Uh, So what we do is we, we make a clinical diagnosis of it based on history, signs and symptoms. And then um, there are uh, nutraceutical approaches that are very helpful for that. Um, red light therapy is very helpful for it. Uh, electric stimulation can be very helpful for it. I do a lot of work with vagus nerve stimulation to help to support that. So, so those are kind of the ways that we address that. And I know we'll go into this a little bit more with your Alzheimer's research, but how about anything neurologically that would be supportive in terms of nutrition? Is there any, is there any kind of standard that you recommend for anybody who might be experiencing inflammation neurologically? One thing that has to happen is you have to be able to provide fuel to the brain. 
And um, so many people are insulin resistant and have prediabetes. And very often the brain loses the ability to use uh, glucose, blood sugar, as a fuel. And uh, this, is, this is a hallmark of Alzheimer's disease and almost all cognitive uh, decline dementias, as well as other neurodegenerative conditions. So very often a plant-based high-fat keto-type approach, ketogenic type of, of approach, is very, very helpful because the brain will, will just jump on literally having the availability of that fat for fuel for the mitochondria, the power plants in, in the cells. And, uh, and so generally speaking, uh, that's the diet that I recommend. And it's, it's also the diet that was developed by uh, Dr. Bredesen, who developed the cognitive decline program that I use. Uh, and it's a uh, very heavy uh, plant-based approach. So some well, I love hearing diets, that. I'm all plant-based. So yeah. Yeah. I love some it. keto diets, you know, the knock on them was, well, you know, you can eat all kinds of bad fat and dairy and things like that and uh, cause a whole host of other things. So this is a very clean, very health, healthy. And in fact, uh, this is actually an a, um, animal protein optional diet. So you could do this as a vegan or vegetarian. I have one a uh, very good friend of mine who um, is interested in this program. She's a vegan and she's been doing it that way. Uh, and I've had other patients that do it as well. That's wonderful. Well, speaking of preventative um, care in terms of like nutrition and, and, and preventing diabetes, I, I was really um, interested to, to learn this. And this is what I read from one of your research studies I'll just quote this, neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, frontotemporal dementia, and um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis are without effective therapeutics. There are approximately 5.8 million people with Alzheimer's in the U.S., and at least one study estimates it's become the third leading cause of death. Unfortunately, therapeutic approaches to date have not led to sustainable improvements, and the best results from recent clinical trials have been to slow cognitive decline rather than improve cognition or halt decline. Depression, anxiety, stress, sleep apnea, insomnia, obesity, diabetes, sedentary lifestyle, and low levels of cardiovascular fitness, either alone in combination, makes significant um, contributions to hippocampal atrophy and cognitive impairment with aging. So can we talk a little bit about, because I think most people, when they hear about Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, dementia, think that it's just kind of, it's going to happen, right? We get like, let's just hold, <laughs> say a Hail Mary and hope it doesn't. But the research that you have done has really shown that we can take the reins, so to speak, and do a lot of preventative care, even if it's in our history. So can you speak about all of those different elements cont that contribute to cognitive decline? Sure. Well, cognitive decline is a, is a brain inflammation condition. It's a condition of brain inflammation. And so that inflammation can occur from a number of sources. If you get inflamed in your body for any reason, you will also be inflamed in your brain. The gut is a big driver of that. There's crosstalk between the gut and the brain through um, uh, the major nerve called the vagus nerve. And so, you know, there's a lot of crosstalk there. Things like sedentary lifestyle are inflammatory and they create inflammation. Diabetes, because in diabetes you become insulin resistant, 
in some cases, uh, Alzheimer's is actually referred to as type three diabetes. Mm, I never uh, heard of that. Ah, the, yeah, there, yeah, the, the brain actually loses the ability to use glucose. It becomes insulin resistant and insulin. Most people know insulin as the hormone that brings sugar into the cells from the blood, but insulin is necessary to, to form synapses, the connections between brain cells. And in Alzheimer's disease, basically what happens is it's a synaptic failure. There, something happens and you start to lose synapses, and that's what causes the brain to downsize and shrink. So you lose, you lose the nerve cells. So all of the things that you mentioned are either contributing to insulin resistance or inflammation directly. And so if, you're, if your brain cells can't use glucose and you're on a, a like most people, a carbohydrate-based diet, then your brain cells no longer have the fuel for their mitochondria, again, the power plants in the brain, to function. The brain cells can't fire, so they die. And they, again, those inflammatory cells, those microglia, see those cells as actually being debris and go in and attack them and clean them up. Mm. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing. So when you've done these studies, uh, like one of them I see with uh, you worked with, you provided intervention that were increasing the physical fitness, stimulating cognitive skills, reducing stress, enhancing levels of omega-3 fatty acids in the diet. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about how, what these cognitive skills were and also about the, the importance of omega-3 fatty acids? Yeah, sure. So because the diet is the primary driver of fuel to the brain and the primary resolver of inflammation, that's absolutely critical. We need to have inflammation when it's necessary. If you eat a piece of lettuce and it has E. coli on it, you want to get inflamed in your gut to fight that off. So you want your immune system to create inflammation, but it has to be resolved when that need is over so that you don't have what we refer to as non-purposeful inflammation. Omega-3 fats are the precursors or the building blocks of our own internal resolving chemicals that bring inflammation down. They are specifically designed to resolve inflammation. And most people in our culture are deficient in omega-3 fats you know, we, we like to eat a lot of um, grains and we like to eat a lot of inflammatory foods uh, that are loaded with uh, the inflammation promoting omega fats. Those are the omega sixes. And so when we get the omega six to three ratio out of balance, we like that for cognitive health to be about four to one. Then um, we see a lot of people that have it 10 to one, 20 to one. And so they not only are promoting inflammation through the diet, but they don't have the building blocks to resolve it. I'm curious, how do you measure that? There's actually a test. It's called an omega check. It's a blood test where mm -hmm. you can measure that. And it's a standard test that I do on everybody that I work with. That's fascinating. Can you give us some examples, especially for vegans? What are some examples of omega-3 fatty acids? Typically, we see that with uh, things like cold water fish. Um, so the, the smash fish, sar uh, sardines, mackerel, anchovies, um, herring, and sardines, 
but there are some sources like flax seeds and walnuts um, that are plant-based. So uh, you can get them from that. You can also get some omega-3s if you are um, a vegetarian from algae. Uh, I was going to say algae, I know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And in particular, algae is high in in one of the omega-3s called DHA, which is actually the most important one of the three omega-3s for brain health. And so we, we highly encourage people to get whatever their preference is, uh, a very good high supply, at least a thousand milligrams a day of DHA. So I'm assuming that you're okay with supplementation because for, for most people, even with the best diet, that's not enough, right? Yes, absolutely. And my experience has been both personally and working with the folks that I do that targeted dietary supplements are important. Ideally, you know, supplements should be supplemental to the diet. So we want to get as much as we can from the diet. But between the the soil depletion of nutrients because of, um, you know, uh, the type of farming that's done because of uh, the widespread use of pesticides, in particular glyphosate, which we could spend a whole other podcast about with that. Because of of the lack of nutrition that we're getting, between the way our food is processed, between where it's grown and trucked to where we are, you know, fruits are grown in South America. They're picked before they're ripe, ripened, and um, and then they're ripened along the way with the use of chemicals. And so we don't eat the way our body is designed for us to eat. We have not adapted to our our lifestyle. One of my mentors is a guy named Gray Cook. He's a physical therapist. And he likes to say that it used to be that our environment shaped us. And now we modify our environment to meet our our leisure needs. Mm, It's so true. I mean, my background also is in evolutionary biology. So I'm always fascinated with how we have devolved in many ways, you know. But um, getting back to deficiencies in nutrition before we go into your, I want to hear about the cognitive exercises. In your research articles, I also saw something that I had never heard of was that zinc deficiency was pretty much consistent with all people with cognitive decline, including Alzheimer's. And in fact, most people probably don't have enough zinc. Can you speak a little bit about the importance of zinc and what it does? Yeah, um, in particular, specifically with respect to inflammation, there is a a process of inflammation where um, you end up getting too much calcium coming into your uh, cells and too much calcium in the cells damages the mitochondria. Zinc actually kind of plugs up that channel where calcium comes in and it modulates the amount of calcium that comes into the cell. Um, zinc also balances out copper and elevation in copper. It's, it's actually the copper to zinc ratio. It should be about one to one because many of us drink our water through copper pipes. Um, we get copper in our dietary supplements. Uh, many people have elevated copper and, and two, co- while some copper is necessary, copper deficiencies are associated with autoimmune diseases. Too much copper can cause brain inflammation. And zinc balances that out. 
Um, you actually don't absorb as much copper when you have adequate zinc. So those are the two ways that, that zinc directly impacts cognitive function and brain inflammation. Well, that was wonderful to hear in a way because I do supplement with zinc in addition to mm -hmm. many other things. Um, as I've gone through menopause, which I did a podcast on, and I really talked about the importance of hormones, which is until I went through menopause myself, I don't think I gave it any thought at all. And I would have thought I would never have been somebody who would consider any kind of supplementation through bioidentical hormones, which I do. And uh, based on, because I have a, basically a functional medicine physician, she is just speaking all the same stuff that you do and, and, and was very frustrated with modern med medicine. And she explained to me the importance of hormones, mostly for the, all the functions in the body, but really for bone health. Now, mm -hmm. can you speak about it for brain health? Because that's not something we did discuss. And I was um, interested in one of your studies that when there is when there are hormone insufficiencies or def deficiencies, this also affects your cognitive decline. Yeah, in particular, uh, estradiol. So uh, for cycling females, estradiol is the primary form of estrogen. And then as you go through menopause, estradiol goes down and the other, uh, in particular, estrone goes up and you can get a deficiency. There was actually a study done out of the Mayo Clinic that showed that women who have uh, a hysterectomy before the age of 40 and don't get adequate hormone replacement have doubled the risk for Alzheimer's. Mm. Estrogen or estradiol in particular is necessary to form synapses between nerve cells. And, uh, you know, a lot of, this is one of my pet peeves. I'm not a hormone expert by any means, but it's one of my pet peeves. A lot of physicians are hesitant to prescribe hormone replacement to women during or especially after menopause, right? There's a cutoff of like 65. Beyond that, you shouldn't take it because it increases the risk of uh, reproductive cancers like breast cancer. They were all flawed studies. They used, they used hormones that were derived from, um, well, the urine from mares. Pregnant, pregnant mares, yes, right. Yeah, Bioidentical yeah, is not... Right. Other animals. Right. Yeah. right. Exactly. If you look at the studies on bioidentical hormone through studies like the Women's Health Initiative, it's completely the opposite. And uh, what we know is that replenishing or repleting estradiol plays a huge role in restoring cognitive function in women that are deficient and experiencing cognitive decline. And it's because, as I said, it's because estrogen or estradiol in particular is necessary to form healthy synapses. Yeah. So I have an estra estradiol patch and I'm very happy. And, you know, I, I understand people's hesitancy because there is so much mixed messaging. I've had people contact me who've had breast cancer and have been told they can't, you know, can't supplement with estrogen. So I, I know that it isn't necessarily right for everyone, but boy, when I read that about the cognitive aspect, I was thinking for bone density and some of the other metabolic processes and thyroid, but boy, I didn't even realize the impact on cognition. Yeah. So yeah, anything more did you want to add to that? Um, we'll probably get into it, but there's a specific, specific subtype of Alzheimer's that is related to deficiencies and estradiol is one of the big ones. 
Wow. Well, why don't we segue right into that? What are the types of Alzheimer's? Because I think, again, most people, including myself, until I read your research, really think of Alzheimer's as kind of like under one umbrella, you know? And even so, there are, you know, there's dementia that is not necessarily Alzheimer's dementia. So can you speak a little bit about the types, the subtypes, and maybe the differences between other kinds of dementia that are that are not diagnosed as Alzheimer's? Sure. So, so dementia is defined as a loss of cognitive function, and there's specific criteria for that, along with an inability to perform activities of daily living. So you can't drive anymore, you can't dress yourself, you can't wash, whatever it may be. Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, but there are many other forms of dementia. There's, as you had mentioned earlier, there's Lewy body, there's frontotemporal dementia, there's vascular dementia, there's a whole host of other ones. Um, Alzheimer's is the most common, and the prevailing theory has been that it's caused by the buildup of this protein called amyloid plaque. And so drug trials have, have many of them have targeted the amyloid plaque, trying to remove it. And as a matter of fact, of over 2,200 drug trials that have been done trying to find a drug for Alzheimer's disease, 23% of them have been targeting the amyloid, and they have all failed because amyloid is a late-stage finding. So the research of Dr. Dale Bredesen, who is a a neurologist working out of UCLA, um, has shown that uh, the buildup of amyloid plaque is actually your body's protective response to certain types of insults. And they, they fall into three main categories, inflammation, what we call loss of trophic support. So that would be hormones, but it can also be vitamins and then toxins. So those are the three primary subtypes that Dr. Bredesen identified. And and what he identified, and this is really well established in the sciences, there is a a particular uh, protein structure that lives in the membrane of all of your brain cells that if it gets acted on in a particular way, promotes these amyloid plaques and what we call uh, neurofibrillary tangles, which are the hallmarks of Alzheimer's, they define Alzheimer's. Basically, what they do is they gunk up the synapses, cause brain cells to die. But if that uh, receptor, that, that protein, is called an APP protein, if it gets acted upon in a different way, it builds synapses. What Dr. Bredesen found was So it's like that, Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Hyde. Like it could yeah, be good yeah, or bad. It's, <laughs> it's wow. actually called a dependence receptor. What it does depends on the environment. If there's a low level of inflammation, not excessive, if there is adequate hormones, if there's adequate vitamins, if there's no toxins, that receptor will be acted upon in such a way that it promotes synapses and, and brain health. But in the presence of things like toxins and infections and an inflammation, the brain actually acts in a protective way to effectively downsize that area to protect the rest of the brain. And uh, it builds up this amyloid plaque. So what Dr. Bredesen figured out is why does that happen? Again, going back to that functional medicine versus conventional medicine. Conventional medicine has always asked, well, what is abnormal? Oh, we've got these plaques and tangles. That must be the answer. Let's target them. Many people actually got worse using those drugs. 
And the reason we think is because those those plaques were entangles were there to protect the brain. So if you were to open up these plaques on autopsy, you would find viruses inside. So it engulfs viruses. It binds to metals like mercury and lead and cadmium. And so it actually is protecting us. And yet most of the prevailing theory has been over the years that that that's the problem. It's actually an end result. And so this approach that Dr. Bredesen developed identified that you can do um, what we call metabolic profiling through lab testing and identify is the primary issue one of inflammation? Do you have an infection, like a urinary tract infection? Do you have gingivitis? Because um, you actually find the same bacteria that are pathological in the mouth in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. And oral bacteria is a known driver of cardiovascular disease as well. What's good for the heart is good for the brain. Is it a, um, so that would be one subtype, an inflammatory type, diet, infections, things like that. Type two is what's called atrophic, meaning a loss of growth support. So you don't have enough hormones, you don't have enough vitamins, you don't have enough nutrition in some way to support the growth of nerve cells. Um, There's a kind of combination between those, which is called type 1.5, which is basically the the type 3 uh, diabetes. It's the one that has inflammatory components, but it also demonstrates um, a loss of trophic support through being insulin resistant. So those are people that are prediabetes or diabetic that also have metabolic syndrome and things like that. Type 3 is toxic. And so that can be everything from heavy metals to mold toxicity. And mold toxicity is a huge player in cognitive decline. Um, Dr. Bredesen estimates that two-thirds of the patients that uh, go through his program have mold toxicity as part of the picture. Um, My experience has been it's more like 80%. Um, and it's amazing where if you if you remove these this mold toxicity um, from whatever source it may be, typically water damaged buildings, but there's other ways that you can get it. Um, breast implants, for example, are known carriers of mold. You remove that, and the, and the changes in cognition are very often profound. Wow! And then you have a vascular type, which is type four. Uh, associated with things like mini strokes or inflammation in the blood vessels in the brain. It's kind of like a cardiovascular disease of the brain. And then the last type, uh, type five, is traumatic, so associated with head injuries. So what we do is we profile through a lot of testing and digging into the history, which of those categories are primary contributors, and then we create intervention strategies with diet and lifestyle Um, and nutrition to resolve whatever those primary drivers in those subcategories are. And you've had a lot of success with it. Um, The recent clinical trial that Dr. Bredesen published was a small, what he called proof of concept trial, showed 84% of the patients improved their cognition. Uh, Some of them even uh, increased the volume of the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that we know as part of the um, memory. Um, I have seen 
my results that I have seen with patients I've worked with is about the same in the 80s with success. Um, I've even seen some, not not all, but some where the hippocampus increased in size. That's the incredible. key is to catch this early. You know, the, 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 the success is much greater if you catch it either before symptoms start or right at the onset. If you wait until somebody's diagnosed with dementia, the outcomes are, are not as good. That makes sense. I mean, this is more of a preventative protocol, it sounds like, yes. as well. Yes, yes. Um, real quick question. Of those subtypes, is there one that has a greater, greater percentage or is it a pretty equal distribution between them? I think that, uh, well, typically the type three, the toxic, is it not only the most prolific, just because we live in a toxic soup in our environment, you know, it's unavoidable. Um, everything from the water we drink to the air we breathe and the food we eat uh, is just loaded with toxins. It's also the most difficult because you have to uh, identify all the contributors. So you may have mold, but you also might be you know, living close to a freeway. Um, there's research that shows women who live close to a freeway, freeway have a much higher incidence of cognitive decline because they're breathing in that fine particulate matter. And uh, so that that's the most prolific and also the most difficult uh, and takes the longest to treat. Oh, I can imagine. And I mean, we could go into all these things, but I, people should just come and work with you. But I would say, um, what are some things that you can recommend for the listeners who are not yet at the stage, let's say, who are, but want to really, you know, I look at this like I'm listening to you and I'm thinking our bodies are incredible from all mm-hmm. the, down to the very cells, to the neurons and how we are, we are equipped. We have defenses in place. You know, we have, our body is fighting for us to take care of all the parts from your mouth and your teeth to your brain, to your gut. What are the suggestions that you can generally make for people um, that you might be practicing yourself to be like, to have the best, uh, best fight against, you know, any kind of cognitive decline? Um, number one is diet, um, making sure that you're not eating an inflammatory diet. So that means not eating a, a lot of high glycemic or high sugary content foods, making sure that you're getting adequate fats. You know, for, for many of us, I knew when I was growing up, the centerpiece of the meal was always the big piece of protein. Um, protein should be a condiment. It should be as clean as possible, 100% grass-fed beef if you're a beef eater, wild-caught fish, if you're a fish eater, you should be uh, consuming adequate fats, healthy fats, avocados, um, olive, olive oil, avocado oil, nuts and seeds. You should be ensuring that you're not overeating starchy carbohydrates and you're not eating foods that are processed, especially packaged in plastic. Um, the next thing is exercise. Uh, we are, um, and I'm sure this resonates, <laughs> we are designed to move. And so we are acting contrary to our, our human nature when we are sedentary. And so uh, functional movement, daily movement um, is really important in terms of structured exercise. We recommend a combination of uh of strength training and aerobics. We like to include high intensity interval training because that type of training builds a lot of the chemical called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that allows nerve cells to talk to each other. 
And so, you know, any kind of exercise that will stimulate that, uh, obviously things like yoga because um, of the, the, the movement and the stress relieving practices of it, which kind of leads into the next thing, and that is managing our stress. So stress is a killer. It's an absolute killer. It drives the inflammatory process. For most of us, we can't eliminate all the stressors in our life, but we can change our response to it. So daily mindfulness, meditation, meditative movement. Uh, I practice, uh, I've been a martial artist since the early 1980s. I practice Tai Chi, Qigong every single day. I teach it to every one of my patients. And I encourage them to do that on a daily basis. Um, mindful movement, as you know, is just incredibly supportive for brain and body health. Optimizing sleep, deep sleep, what we call slow wave sleep, is when the detergent system in our brain called the glymphatic system actually clears out the built up amyloid. So if you're not getting good quality sleep, both quality and quantity, and you're not cleaning this stuff out, it actually promotes inflammation in the brain. So practicing good sleep hygiene, you know, not watching the news before you go to bed, you know, getting off your screens in the evening so you don't get stimulated by the blue light. All of those kinds of things are really important. Uh, brain stimulation is critical. So learning new things in our program, we do recommend computer-based um, uh, brain training programs, which have been shown to be very effective. They're a double-edged sword because we don't want people using them into the evening. Learn to play a new instrument, learn a new language, read a book, you know, learn something new, continually stimulate your brain. My wife and I uh, recently started playing chess and she's been playing for years and I'm just learning. So, you know, she beats me on the scoreboard every single time, but I'm, I'm looking at the board and I'm problem solving. I'm figuring out if she moves here, I can move here and this and that. And that's stimulating my brain. So even though, you know, I'm not winning, it's a win for me. Oh, I love um, that. And, and those are, those are the, the, the primary things that we look at. Um, obviously, because our food supply is so depleted, Certain targeted dietary supplements can be important, like fish oil, like we talked about. Almost everybody is deficient in vitamin D, which is absolutely necessary for our immune system. Uh, many people are deficient in magnesium. So, you know, supplementing with some of these things as well. But these are steps that people can take right now. You know, the, the pathology that can lead to Alzheimer's starts in virtually everyone by age 40. And uh, so, so the pathology is there at least around 20 years before symptoms start. And that's the time to get evaluated, to look at your risk factors and take steps to address it. So, you know, the recommendation is everybody over 50 should get a colonoscopy. Dr. Bredesen says everybody over 40 should get a cognoscopy where you get an evaluation of your cognitive function and your risk factors, and then start making lifestyle changes that can support a healthy brain as you age. Oh, I love these. These are wonderful tips. Now, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners are going to be wanting to learn more about you and possibly um, read any of things that you have or even work with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how people can find you? 
Yeah, the best way is the clinic that I work at in Denver, Colorado is called Prime Health Denver. It's primehealthdenver.com. Uh, there's information about me on the website. There is also information about our um, cognitive decline program. Uh, and so anybody can go on there and request a free consultation and you'll get on with one of our wellness managers who is well-versed in this program and they can talk about how this program works and how you can work with me. I work with people from all over the country with this program. Amazing. So you can work virtually. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. all over the and world, possibly. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And we uh, we have two different directions that we go with this. One is the, the reversing cognitive decline and maintaining brain health. So that's for people that are just starting to experience symptoms that haven't progressed into dementia. But we also, uh, in January, we're going to be launching a prevention program, which is specifically targeted like for people like us that have a family history that are concerned and want to take steps now to prevent going down that route in the future. So, and that's going to be virtual as well. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I know for sure I could not fit everything in, in this one conversation. I'd love to have you back. And we talked about that. And so for everybody that's listening, um, not only go look up uh, Dr. David Ward, but send me questions at support at lityoga.com that you would like me to ask Dr. Ward on our next conversation, our next podcast, because he's obviously chock full of information and we all want to keep our brains healthy and keep our bodies healthy so we can feel our best. So write me at support at lityoga.com and we'll have you back. It's been a pleasure, really. You're just, oh, I love talking you so to you. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Oh, it's been Look wonderful. To speaking again. Yeah, thank you, David. And yeah. thank you for everybody you that's listening. As always, I'm pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.